Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, um, I know you're about to sit down, but let's stand and stand at the reading of God's Word this morning as we uh, continue on in the book of Matthew. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to finish up chapter 5. And so here are the verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that they, you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil uh, and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the text of Scripture that we have. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who continues to challenge us to be more like you, that you haven't left us here to figure out things on our own, but you have given us your word to challenge us and to change us to live the way that you have called us to. And we pray that you would help us to hear you clearly today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So um, kind of just thinking about what we're talking about today, uh, my mind was traveling off to one of these articles. And these ones used to be uh, actually important to me. Ten actors that are jerks in real life and ten who are sweethearts. I used to care about this stuff. And so I always want to know, are they a good person? Are they nice? Or are they a jerk? Right? And so I want to know because on the screen... They, they, they had it together. On the screen, they play such genuine, nice people. Like, like you watch certain guys and you're like, how could they not be a loving person? Like every role they've ever played is this. Or there's others and you're like, man, that guy is a huge jerk. I mean, every character he ever plays is that. He's got to be. And so I always like reading this. Now, I don't know how accurate it is. Because I just kind of assume everybody's a jerk at this point now, too. That's just kind of my, my mode of, of how I deal with this. But it's an interesting little read. I love reading little things like that. But the reason I bring that up is because there's a lot of us who, we do the same thing, right? We, we look and we see that there should be something different about them because of who they are or what they attend or the kind of life that they have. And, and they should be kind of a loving person. There, there should be more about them. But how often do you have people who say, well, th those are... Uh, you know, th those are Christians, but they're really not that loving. Or maybe it could be said about you. Man, they go to church every Sunday. They should be, you know, they attend Bible study. They, they should be loving people. But the reality is when you see them Monday through Friday or through, through Saturday too, they're not a nice person. They're not very loving at all. And so today is what we're going to be looking at is how do we love the way that God has asked us to love? Uh, we begin to take this on. I, I, I don't know about you, but I've read this passage so many times. You know, you just kind of go through, and sometimes you just kind of read through Jesus' words about this. You know, okay, I got it. Yeah, we got to love this way or whatnot. And sometimes uh, you just kind of blow through the gravity of what he's saying. But I want us to take it little by little, and you're going to see that there's a, there's a challenge for all of us in here. If you think you've got this down, uh, you're going to be blown away to see that the standard is quite different than probably what you think. So let's start, and let's see what Jesus has to say about how to love the way that God wants us to. He says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in context, what Jesus has been doing in chapter 5 is taking Old Testament teachings that people have misunderstood 
and he's clarifying what the original intention was. So oftentimes he's going to look and he's going to say, well, you guys believe this, but here's what Moses actually meant. And so he clears things up like that. He clears things up about divorce and marriage. He clears things up about adultery and hate and murder, going through laws. And so now we get to this one, and this is a little different, but I want you to see. Notice that in, if you have an English Bible, hopefully you're here because you speak English, but uh, you have an English Bible in your hand, and you'll see that right here it's bolded or emboldened. Now why? Well, because that's actually a reference to a verse in the Old Testament. But notice right here, there is no bolding out in your text. The reason that's the case is because that's actually not in the Bible. So what we're about to discover and what Jesus is going to clarify for us is this is a popular phrase, it seems, that the people had, a popular teaching that the, the Jews at the time had kind of gravitated towards, but it wasn't biblical. Only half of it was. And so what we want to see is Jesus is going to clarify that you say these things, but let me actually show you what the Bible teaches. So just to give you a couple of things to think about, the, the Bible does teach us to love our neighbor. Notice what it says in Leviticus right here. This is where that text actually came from. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you'll not incur guilt because of him. So right off the bat, don't have hatred towards your brother. Meaning those Israelites that you're around, don't hate them. Okay? Which is interesting because this is the context that they're misquoting this passage from. Don't take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so this is key. The people are quoting this, love your neighbor. By the way, they kind of, maybe they're not saying this for a reason because they don't want to love them that much. We're not sure. But love your neighbor as yourself. And so what had come, taken place is people are quoting this passage, but then they're adding on to it. I love people that are around me. I love my neighbor, but I hate my enemy. Now, which is weird because in context already, he's already saying, don't hate your brother. Now, we're going to go and, and kind of look a little bit more about what we see with hatred, by the way. First off, it is important to see that there is no command about hatred of your enemies in the Bible at all. That's key to keep in mind. There's no command about that. Now, we do see as you begin to look into that, that sometimes in the Psalms, you'll see things like this. David will, will talk about how he has hatred for the community of evildoers, or he has hatred for those who, are, who regard vain idols. And a typically, uh, and you'll see God the, the, the same way too, but what you're typically seeing is more of a, 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 a hatred that comes from uh, of, of abandoning the faith. It's more of an anger at what people have done is they've chosen to go after idols instead of going after the Lord. But you never see a command to hate people here. And this is interesting too because you go through a little bit more and you'll see here's what the Bible actually teaches about how we are to regard others who we are not probably on the same page with. Probably people that aren't our friends who we don't like. So if the first one would be dealing with the alien. Now, this is in that time, these are the people who are not Israelites, who are living in the land with them, who they don't do the same things as them. And oftentimes, they're going to have disputes. And so notice what God tells them in Leviticus 19. When an alien resides with you in the land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So that's the first thing he says is, 
We got other people in the land who aren't like you, who you probably don't get along with. You're not allowed to oppress them just because you're an Israelite. You're going to have to love those people as yourself. So now what Leviticus has already done, and, and notice these are the, this is the passage that people wanted. This is the book that they're quoting. God has already expanded the understanding that I am to love my neighbor, not only includes my fellow Israelites, but those who are outside of Israel as well. Already, it's already done. And so when Jesus begins to teach on who's your neighbor later on, that's already been taken care of in the Old Testament. Neighbor includes way more than just people in my own little circle who live in my own neighborhood. Now, notice what else you'll see. Notice what we do with people who we don't like. Proverbs tells us in 24, 17, don't gloat when your enemy falls. Don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. For the Lord will see and be displeased to turn his wrath away from him. And so what we're seeing here is... The Bible seems to make it very clear that my relationship towards my enemy is not one that is typical of what you would think of in the world, which is, you know, the heart of us is I like people who like me and I don't like people who don't like me. I, I, I like people who are friendly to me. I like people who like the same stuff as me. But if you try to cross me, if you try to hurt me, if you become an enemy of mine, well, then guess what? I ain't loving you. In fact, I want payback for you, but we've already seen already. That's not for the Christian in the previous section. Revenge is not an option. That's not the way that we're called to live. So this is the world that the people are living in. They want to live in that, and most of us do. We want good things for the good people around us and bad things for the bad people around us. Unless you're sick, and you're not, you're not sick like I am. That's kind of what the heart wants, right? Now, notice what Jesus is going to say, though. But I tell you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I love what he says right here because this is key too. You think that this is how you should live? Jesus is saying, you guys think love your, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's how I want to live. That's how I live my life. But he goes, but I tell you. Meaning, I don't care what's popular. I don't care what you've gravitated, whatever message you have, you need to understand, I tell you something different. And so what we need to keep in mind is we should be evaluating all the things that we learn by what does the Bible actually say. It doesn't matter if you got it from a Christian book or a Christian speaker, or maybe it's something that the world is saying, this is what you should believe. At the end of the day, it needs to be evaluated by what does the Bible actually teach about this? And that Jesus is saying, okay, so let's evaluate that statement. Already you and I have done some of the work and seen. It doesn't actually fit with what the Bible says, but Jesus is going to say, well, let me clear up what I think you should actually be thinking about. And notice what he says here, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, he has just said those same people who you're mad at, who are bad, He's going to talk about those who persecute you. Those are people who the word actually means they hunt you down. They're looking to be, they're looking to go after you. And so literally for the church, the early church, those were people who were knocking on their doors, yanking them out, throwing them in the prison for, for being followers of Jesus. But it could also just be people who continue to bully you, people who continue to go after you, cause problems for you in your life. And what does Jesus tell you to do? Well, he says you love them and you pray for them. Now, this is interesting to think about. Because this begins to change what our understanding of what the word love means. It cannot mean have good, fuzzy feelings for that person, right? Because our way that we depict love in our culture today is this, is I'm in love with you, 
give it some time, and I'm out of love with you. I don't have that warm feeling anymore. When we first were together, baby, it was great, and I loved you, and I, and, but now, this ain't the same. That spark is gone. Notice that that doesn't work here. Have that fuzzy feeling and spark towards your enemies. That's ridiculous. You can't do that. He's not saying you hate those people because they hate you, but here's what I need you to do. Just work hard and make fuzzy feelings come out towards people who you hate. That doesn't work. Essentially, what it's saying is, I, I need you to do something. Because when you look at the way love is used in the Bible, love is used like this. It, it's, it's an action. It's to take someone's interests. It's to fix your attention on them and to put their interests ahead of yours. You see, that's what's key is it's, it's an action here. It's not a feeling. It's not dig down deep and try to find a bunch of fuzzy feelings for the person. It's saying, I'm going to choose to put this person in front of me. I'm going to choose to set my sights on them and to now put their interests above mine and have concern for them. That's what we're seeing here. Now, guess what? The fuzzy feelings might come because of that. The more that you begin to now put that person in front of you and now begin to try to, to love them and to make them a priority and put their interests, guess what? God begins to change the heart a little bit to where, yeah, you are probably going to now change how you are towards them. But notice in here, this is not something that he's saying. He's not just saying, find some good feelings and goodwill towards them. Notice what else he says there is, I want you not only to love them, but I want you to pray for them. Now, this is a prayer which is not just, hey God, this person's a jerk. I pray that you would make them nice. Right? Because that's typically our prayers. God, I really don't like this person. And if, if they would just change how terrible they were to just being a nicer person, that would be great. That's not the kind of prayer we're seeing here. This is the same. It's, it's within the same vein, right, of prayer and love, right? These are the same. It's a loving prayer towards someone to try to say, I'm going to pray for their well-being. Think about how Jesus prayed for those when he was on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He did it. And he didn't just say, God, these are a bunch of jerks, please. Just make them nicer jerks, right? Like, that's not what he's saying here. He's, he's legitimately trying to pray and put attention and focus. So your prayer should be towards people who, who, are, who are wronging you and hurting you and, and difficult with you. Then you should begin to look at them and say, okay, I'm going to try to set them in front of me and try to, try to, make, uh, try to approach them with love. Try to be kind. I'm going to try to, to try to make them a focus and put their, their interests above mine. I'm going to pray for them as well. I'm going to try to, not, and, and, and maybe what you're going to need to do is start with that. God, help me to love them because I don't love them right now. Help me to, to find ways to put their interests above mine because I need that right now. But that's what we're seeing here is it's, it's time to kind of try to say those people who are really your enemies, who are people that you don't like at all, it's time to say, God, help me to now love them. The, the fuzzy feelings aren't probably there at all. But guess what? That's not about fuzzy feelings. It's about putting their interests there, beginning to find a way to pray for them and try to have God love them through you. Let me just say as a side note to married people for just a moment, because in your relationship, you find there are times where you might feel like we're enemies. Because if you actually read the Bible and you look at Genesis chapter two, the two are one. They are close together. But guess what happens in chapter three? Sin is introduced into the world. 
And right after the sin happens, she told me to do it. It was her fault, right? And then you actually find because of the curse, they're going to be fighting each other. And guess what happens right after that? In chapter four, your kids are killing each other, right? This is what happens. Sin gets worse and worse and worse and begins to mess up the relationships that we're supposed to be. And so that couple that should be considered one, one union, will find yourselves at sometimes saying, I don't even know you anymore. And I sure as heck don't like you. But let me say this. Notice, when you might feel like your spouse is the enemy, let me stop you for just a second. Your spouse is not the enemy. But I also want you to recognize here, what are you called to do even if you think they're your enemy? You still love them and you still pray for them. You may not like them, but you still got to pray for them. You, you may not like them because they're being terrible, but you're going to still try to find ways to love them. And that's just a call back to you and recognize no matter how bad it gets, you have no excuse in your marriage to ever stop loving and praying for that spouse that you have. Okay, let's move on and look at the next thing. I love what Jesus does here because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, do these things. Because that's kind of how I've read it before. Okay, I'm just supposed to do these things. Actually, what he's going to do is he's going to give us reasons for why we should do these things. Here's the first reason why. He says this, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, the first time I read that, I was like, wait, I thought I was a child of God. Why am I, is he, is he hanging that up, dangling it, and saying, if you really want to be saved, you got to do these things. That's not what he's saying at all. Essentially, what he's saying is, if you really do these things, you're going to be continu- you're cron- continuing to grow up and look more like your father, right? This is what he's meaning, is that if you really begin to start loving this way, you're going to look more like God. Do you want to be a mature Christian? Do you want to look more like your father? That should be the goal of each Christian, is that we should try. I want to look more like my father. I want to serve him and be more like him. You think about this. Kids do this with their parents, I think about, like, uh, there was this trend at my house probably about a year ago where every time I get to work and I start to leave for work, uh, I go to brush my teeth, and my kids grab their toothbrushes out of their bathroom, and they run into my bathroom, and they all stand at the sink with me, and they all have their, teeth, their toothpaste ready, and it's like we have to do it at the same time. And my son especially, he'll watch like the motions, right? You'll do that. And, and we have to kind of spit at the same time. And that's always terrible too. And when those are off and you're trying to wash your toothbrushes and they're spitting in too, that's the worst, right? But they want to do it because they want to be like me. Now my son would take it further because I would pull out my razor and I'd begin to shave my electric razor. And he's got a toy one. And he's got a toy one that you pull the little string and, and then you got to keep doing it. And so as I would do it, he would stand there too and he would do it. He's got a little drawer now with a little cologne, one of my old cologne. It's got a little bit left in it that he's got in his little fake razor because he wants to be like dad. He wants to do the same things. He'll even follow me and sometimes try to put my shoes on and say, okay, let's go to work now. I'm like, no, you're not going with me. You're not doing that. But he's trying to, to try to model what I'm like because he wants to do that. For the Christian, we should try to model what God is like. And Jesus is saying, you want to model what God is like? You want to be more like your father? Guess what? Start loving like this. In fact, John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, 7 through 8, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now catch that. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
but you want to be more loving. The more loving you are, the more that you, you, your love actually expands beyond kind of what we, your normal, but into the way God has shown you, the more you look like your father. That's reason number one. Look at reason number two. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Now, this is essentially what, what theologians call common grace, meaning that the reason now that we should also try to love others is because God, in His common grace, is loving in all, to all people by continuing to give them the essentials that they need every day. Really, the, the reality is this, is God is all just and God is all holy, and He doesn't owe you and I another day of life. The way that we have lived, the way we continue to live, we are not all just. We are not all good. Except the scriptures, Romans chapter 3 says, all of us, none of us really actually seek after God. And so God in his, just, in his justice would be perfectly just to just wipe us all out and be done with us all. But that's not what we see. We actually see that God continues to bless by giving us life. And so that's what Jesus is saying is that he causes the Son to rise on the evil and good. He doesn't just give sun to the people that he likes and leaves everybody in darkness. The sun rises and everybody gets the same amount of sun in Phoenix, you know, that, that we do here. Then everybody, you know, in this town, and we, granted, we get more sun than other places. And if you're in Alaska, that throws things off too, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We're just saying that generally the sun rises the same for all of us. How about this for rain? You don't have Christian farms that get more rain than non-Christian farms. You recognize that? Like, there, it, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't just say, if you pray hard enough and you follow Jesus enough, your farm's going to be more plentiful than this dude's farm. It doesn't work like that. He's just saying God is gracious in that, and he gives and blesses, and he uses. And notice, he's in control of all of that. That's a, one I'm going to throw out to our small groups this week is some implications about God's even controlling the weather. It's kind of fun to think about. But notice this. There's some verses that show God's love for all of humanity, which is what Jesus is saying is the reason you do this is because God loves all of humanity. We're all created in the image of God that matters. And so these are some of the reasons you got, God is still continuing to bless people regardless of whether they follow him or not. He just has a, a, a general, a common grace. Here's, what it's, here's some, uh, some of those examples from the Bible. Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he has made. Proverbs 29, 13 says, The poor and the oppressed, uh, the oppressor, have this in common. The Lord gives light to, both of the, uh, to the eyes of both. Proverbs 22, 2 says, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. And so what we understand here is I need to love God. I need to love other people, right? Because people are important to God. And he shows this by every day giving all of us breath and all of us life when we, none of us are do it, but yet he continues to give that blessing. Now, he's going to push us now, and the next step is going to push our buttons as church people. So here we go. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. 
Now, let's talk about the word reward. It's actually the same thing that he says uh, in Matthew 5, verse 12. He says, be glad, rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is the same kind of idea that there, it matters how you live here, that when you go and be with the Lord one day, there's going to be rewards for how you have lived. It's not, your, it's not the reward. It's not salvation. Salvation is nothing of yourselves, but there's some sort of reward there. Notice what he says this. So if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. Meaning, if, if all you say is, well, I'm a loving person, well, why? Because I love all the people around me. I'm, I'm generally a loving person. Because there's not much reward there. Like, you haven't done really much at all. Like, that's a pretty simple task to do, to be loving towards people who love you. He says, here's how simple that is. Even tax collectors do that. Now, here's why that statement is profound to those people, is because tax collectors were generally seen as kind of one of the worst professions to have. These are the people that they worked for the government. And not just the Jewish government, they worked for the Roman government. They were to pull taxes in and they were to give it to the man. The people who, we're under their oppression and you're working for them and you're taking our money for that. And sometimes they were known for saying, I need a little extra. Otherwise, ah, oops, I just didn't record this stuff. And so they were known for taking advantage of people. And he's saying, even those people love their people in their circle. Like, there's a group of all the most terrible people in the world. They all love each other, too, in the same way that you guys all love each other. Because there's not much reward there if you just love people who love you. I've got to think about this, too. If Matthew, uh, if, if, if Matthew's sitting there listening to this, Matthew uh, tradition is he was a tax collector behind. You've got to think about, like, he, he'd probably be like, wait a second, we're not all that bad, right? I mean... Come on, man, some of us are, but you think that's the illustration, though, is even the most terrible people you can think of, they just love each other. They still have their own little circle. They still have people that they love. That they're, so, so you're not stretching yourself at all if you just love people who love you. Now, look at the next one that he says. Oh, let me just give you an example, one other thing before we get there. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It, it's over and over this idea that, that if I'm not a loving person, uh, I'm really not doing what I've called, been called to do. And this is important for you guys to understand is, is that loving others is not optional for the Christian. Now, Important to think, those people were looking at their loving of each other as like, that's it. We're doing what God's called us to do because we love all the people in our own circle. And what Jesus is saying is go further than that. Go beyond that. And what we need to realize too is, but that's the minimum, right? Like, do you know there are people who say that they're Christians who don't love anybody? You can't have that. You can't have anybody claim Christ but not be a loving person. It just doesn't work that way. And that's what we're seeing here. Paul is even saying is if you're not a loving person, you really don't have anything. And so we need to keep that in mind is that the standard, the, the standard is loving others. It's not an option. It needs to be beyond just my little circle, but even more so than that. Now look at the next thing that he says. And if you greet those, if you greet only your brothers and sisters... What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So he's using the same kind of line of argument that he's done previously. So he says, look, tax collectors love their own. Let me tell you about 
Gentiles. They're, they're people who are outside the faith. They don't have the scriptures. They're not given that. They're not given everything God has given them. And so they don't know these things. But he says, if you only greet brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Now, the word greet here is more than just, hey, what's up? Good to see you. I see you from afar. I'm going to give you a pound. That's not what we're talking about. It is more than that. It's a respect that comes with that. It's the idea that uh, genuine concern for your well-being. It's, so it's going beyond, hey, what's up? It's, it's, it's beyond, you know, as you're pulling out your, uh, your trash cans out of your, at your, uh, your neighborhood and seeing that dude walk down the, the it's beyond going, hey, like that's, it, that's not what we're talking about here, right? Uh, but he's saying, if you only greet those people, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Meaning that we, we as Christians should go beyond uh, what we have in our own little circle to those outside. And so now this is important, right? Because what he's saying is so easy it is for Christians to say, I, I'm a loving person. I come to my church. We're in a good spot. I know everybody. Uh, we're, we're a very loving group here. And he's saying, but, but do you only greet those people that you know? Do you only greet and have respect and genuine concern for the people in your own circle? Because if you do, you're really not extending yourself much. Because people do that. Most Gentiles, even people who are outside the faith, show concern and respect for well-being for their own. So here's the one-to-one. This was the simplest one of application for us as church people. Uh, I love these are fake from the Babylon Bee, but I love these ones here because this is where it's going. Um, Man stands perfectly still during church greeting time in an attempt to avoid detection. I don't know about you, but if you ever grew up in the church uh, where they did have greeting time, and it typically would go like this, it, you, after the first song, we'd say, hey, turn around and greet somebody and tell them that you're glad to have that. And so what typically would happen is you would walk around and, and for like the next five minutes, shake hands and tell people hi. And, um, and it kind of was that game of how many people could I hit before the five minutes was over, right before the song started back up. But what that, what that does sometimes is create like a false sense of like, I'm very, we're very welcoming church because we just shake hands with people. I love this one, man only serving in church sound booth to avoid greeting time. Because generally, let me say this, as church people, we get very comfortable. And I think what Jesus is saying here is we get very comfortable and we like our circles and we like our friends, but I don't really want to push beyond that, right? I don't really want to push beyond and to expand my circle. I'm going to read you an article really quickly, just a couple things from this article. Um, and it's called Six Reasons Why Your Church Members May Not Be Friendly to Guests. And here's what it says. It's one of the biggest lies in churches. Of the thousands of on-site and virtual consultations I've done, it's the most common sentence we hear from church members. We are the friendliest church in town. With rare exceptions, it's not true. We've surveyed guests that visited church and found dramatically different perceptions. The, common, the most common uh, comment is this. The people at that church aren't very friendly. So how many church members, uh, how do we have so many that have a, such a disconnect with reality? Here are six reasons, and I'll give you the couple, the top few. The holy huddle syndrome. Church members naturally gravitate to people they know when they go to worship service. They already have relational connections. The members thus perceive that they're friendly because they're friendly to each other. Unfortunately, guests are not included. How about the stand and greet satisfier? Many churches have a time where they stand, where they work, greet each other. Um, and for most church members, those three to four minutes of shaking hands and speaking to someone constitute friendliness. The guests, it's often conceived as contrived and inconsistent with what they see beyond the official 
welcome time. And so you go on there and you just see that for many churches, we live in this bubble where we think we're friendly, we think we're doing what we're calling to do, but we haven't really blown that circle up. We've not really seek, sought to bring new people in to actually seek their well-being, to, to kind of uh, show them respect beyond because we don't want to bring them into our circle. That's the struggle. We, we like our circle the way it is. I don't know about you, but we're all wired differently. Some of you are people like that already. I want a new friend every day to bring into my circle because my circle can never be big enough. I have one kid like this. We go to the trampoline park the other day, and I found these two other girls walking around with us. Why? Because my daughter found them, and they all became friends, and she joined their birthday party because they brought her in because they, they became best friends immediately. And now do I got these other kids walking around. They want to do everything with us because the circle can never be big enough for her. Every place you go, there are new friends, and they're always, we always want to know everything about them and how we can be friends with them. I have another kid that says, I don't want any friends. I don't need friends. Right? And there, we're kind of, many of us caught between that in our own social lives, right? I don't want another circle. I don't need a circle. I sit in the same spot that I sit in because I like that, and I don't want someone sitting next to me. I don't want to meet somebody else new, or some of y'all like, I will sit right next to that new person and right next to him and push my seat closer that we can get together. And so here's what we need to recognize. Jesus is calling us, no matter how you're wired socially, right, we're called to have respect and to have concern for others outside of your circle. When was the last time you welcomed somebody in? When was the last time you sought a new face and introduced yourself and got to know somebody? When was the last time you invited someone to just hang out? One of the things we're doing in our small group is we've got goals every month in our small group to say, let's expand our circle. Let's try to have a meal with somebody who's not part of our group. Let's have a meal with somebody who's in to grow those relationships, but let's go expand that circle. Guys, we need to do that. And let me say this, for those of us who are part of certain ministries, that genuine concern should just start with the person and not, welcome to Royal Palms Baptist Church. Let me tell you about all the ministries I want you to be involved with, especially the one that I'm in right now. Hey, let me tell you about this. You can get involved with this. You can get involved with this. Stop. Show genuine concern. Just get to know them, welcome them, and let it go and see what God does with that. But we're called to now be uh, greeting others. We're called to go that extra step. Jesus is concerned with our, with our prayer and our love and our respect uh, for people, and he wants us to be like that. Now, he's going to finish it up with this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that word here probably is better translated as mature, complete, because what he's saying here is this, is if you truly want to be like your Father, if you want to be complete like that, then begin to do these things that I'm telling you to do. Begin to love the way that God wants you to Begin to now stretch yourself to go beyond. If you really want to be like that, and you see that God is like that in all ways, he is completely perfect in his love and in his character, begin to try to live like that. Try to be mature in that is what essentially he's saying. Be more like God, especially in his love. And so here we are. I love this because Jesus has not given us a bunch of instructions and said, just do them. He's trying to give us reasons behind why we do this. And so as we kind of close up, here's the things to ask. Do you truly love people like Jesus? See, what Jesus has been doing is he's been challenging the way that people think. I'm a loving person because I love my neighbor and I hate my enemy, Jesus. He said, well, that's not really the biblical standard. So let me ask you this. If you were to hold yourself up to what Jesus has been saying is how you've been doing. The checkup now needs to come. 
are you loving people this way? Are you greeting people this way? Are you praying for people this way? Because this is what the standard is. And this is what, if you want to be a Christian who says, I want to mature. Oh, I want to grow in my faith. Well, then here's the step. Begin to start doing these things. Begin to try to love the way that Jesus has shown here. And, and here's what you need to think about too is God is calling us to love. Remember, it's not just people we like. It's all people. It's your neighbors. It's your enemies. Let me ask you this though, Do, are you even praying for your own? Make sure that you don't just focus on those people. And let me say this, if you have a, today what you need to do is begin to start praying for those people who are against you. If you have an enemies list, you shouldn't, by the way. You should take that thing, burn it. You don't need that, just throw it away. But now begin to focus on those people. Don't think about every person who's ever hurt you. Don't think about all that, but just begin to think about who's in your circle right now where there's a lot of tension and begin to ask God to help pray and love through those people and to, and to love on them. But think about this too. We need to go beyond. We need to make sure that we're not just saying, I keep you at a distance, but I'm gonna genuinely try to find love uh, through through Christ. Ask God to love through you on these people. And here's the other thing to think about is this, is this is not only a challenge to our Christian bubble, where we want to stay in our little circle with our own little Christian people and be friends with our own little friends, but this is to blow that up and to change us to be more loving the way God is, but it's also a challenge to our culture. Because right now, culturally, here's what's happening. We are becoming more and more divided. Our culture is becoming divided politically. On top of that, we're starting to be divided racially. On top of that, we're divided socially. And what we like and what we think are values and all of that, it's becoming more and more to where we are all at odds with each other. And what does God want us to do but to drop that and begin to see everybody that I'm going to continue to love and pray for you. I don't care who you are. Neighbor or friend, I'm not seeing you as that anymore. I'm not seeing you as, as that. I'm just going to continue to make sure that I love. and I'm not going to see you from the way that the world wants me to see you. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to love on you. And guess what? It happens in church too. We divide over a lot of things. In church, here's what happens. They're old. I'm young. They got kids. I don't have kids. They're married. I'm single. Uh, they're weird. I'm in the cool group. We're not hanging out. No, that has to drop too. And we need to recognize that if I'm going to really do this, I've got to be willing to say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you because that's what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to extend myself. Those, those, those categories are going to drop and those divisions will drop because it doesn't matter whether you're my neighbor, or you're my enemy. I'm praying for you and I'm loving for you. That's what we're going to do. And the truth is we need to drop those and we need to begin to see people not from the thing that I think they're worth, but how God sees them. We don't, we don't value people because of what society says about whether they're valuable or not. We begin to say, I value people because of what I see in the gospel. I begin to value people the way God does because in the gospel, we see the ultimate way people are valued. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5 verses 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless, recognize this, by the way, I'm going to show you circle a couple things to say, this is the Bible's depiction of you prior to meeting Jesus, if you're a Christian. And this is the Bible's depiction of you if you don't know Jesus. While you are still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even die. Just saying, hey, Sometimes somebody might want to die for a good person, but he's dying for us, the ungodly, the helpless. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved from his wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? 
And not only that, but we, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. You see, the reason why I'm called to love others is because ultimately what I see in the gospel is that God in the gospel has shown us that you and I are enemies of the cross. You and I are enemies of God. The way that we have lived, we are ungodly, we are sinners, we are helpless. And yet the gospel depicts that even though that is our state and who we are and what we have done, God's love for us exceeded just simple common grace. Is exceeded that to where he said, I love this person so much that I'm willing to go and live this perfect life. He sends Jesus, he lives a perfect life on this earth and, and takes at the cross, decides that what he will do is put all of the punishment that you you and I as enemies of Christ uh, on Jesus. Jesus is killed three days later. He raised, raised from the dead to show that God will take that, that uh, what he's done. He take Jesus' perfect life and give it to you and, and put all of that on him. Jesus is punished in your place. You go free and you're given uh, the perfect record of Jesus. So when we begin to ask, how should I see people? I need us be seeing people from the gospel. When you find someone who's difficult to love and you find somebody who's an enemy, recognize it in the gospel prior to you under prior to you accepting Jesus you were an enemy of his and yet he found you and he loved you and he gave his life for you and so you've got to keep that in mind you're just to do the same thing if I want to grow up in faith I need to mature in that recognize this is how much God has loved me for you and I though today if you've ever wondered does God love me does God care yeah because he found you as you were he found you as an enemy and now brought you and not only took you off and cleaned you off but he made you a son and made you a daughter and God wants to do that to those people who are enemies of yours. He wants to work through you to love on those people who are around you. And so today the challenge is, will you do that? Will you love in what you see in the gospel? Will you ask God to work through you and to see people the way that he sees them and the love that he's shown at the cross? Change the way that we are. It blow up these circles, these ways that we typically think that we're loving and begin to look at the cross and look at the way that God has set up how we should love. So let me pray for you now. I'm going to say this, that God I know wants to stretch us and to mature us. And when it's difficult, continue to look to the cross and see what he's willing to do for you and have him live through you. For some of you though, maybe this is the first time you've heard this or maybe it finally makes sense. And so whatever it is, put your focus on that trust in Jesus. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the gospel, and I thank you that you've called us to live differently. God, you don't just give us commands, but you give us reasons why. And ultimately, we find that it's in the gospel, God, that you have you've taken who we are. You've taken us people, you said, who are enemies of yours, and now brought us in, cleaned us up, made us children of yours. God, help us to look at people who are enemies of ours in the same way. That we wouldn't look and say, I'm going to continue to hate them, but, but I'm going to look at them in the same way that you found me, and that I would show that same grace towards others. God, there are probably many people in our minds right now that there's somebody who sticks out as an enemy right now. God, I pray that you would help us to turn our hearts towards them. It might not be easy, but God, help us to love, help us to pray. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's never accepted you, who's never known what it's like to truly be saved, that they would understand what they stand right now as an enemy of yours, but that you were willing to take everything on yourself at the cross and to make them family when they trusted in the name of Jesus Christ and his word. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And here's what we do. 
You know, every Sunday we've had the text read. We understand it better. So you need to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe there's somebody in mind right now that you know that you need to love. Maybe there's another action that you need to take. But whatever it is, you begin to pray and respond. And when you've prayed, you can also just look at the words and the lyrics and reflect on those. And then we will close in just a moment. But let's, uh, let's reflect, let's respond, and we'll finish up in just a moment.